Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. If you are new, uh, we're sort of doing a short uh, three-week series about our core values. Uh, Last week, we talked about gospel, and this week, we're talking about mission, mission. And it's really important for us to talk about that because God does love this city of Boston. In this city, there are uh, 5.2 million people in the Boston area. In our neighborhood alone, there's 50,000 people in what's called Brighton, in four square miles. And of that 50,000, only 3% of them believe in the gospel. They, they know God's love and what he's done on the cross. And so as a church, we wanna understand, does God want us to share the gospel? Are we supposed to be helping people know who Jesus is? How do we have those conversations? Why are we about that in our church? And so today we wanna talk about that value of mission. And so usually, again, if you're a guest at our church, you're watching online, uh, usually we like to go through books of the Bible. So we've studied Esther together. We've studied uh, the book of James. We studied Ephesians. And we're just taking a short little break before we start the book of Genesis in just a few weeks. And so if you're a guest and you want to know kind of what the teaching looks like, that's typically what we do book by book. And we'll start Genesis here soon. Uh, so help us to begin a little bit. Last week, we talked about the value of what? Shout it out to me. We talked about Gospel, that's right. We'll get a little talk back and forth. Talk about the gospel. And if you remember how we started, I told you a story about my daughter, Kiana, who's five years old. And uh, we fostered to adopt her here from Boston. And when she first got glasses in our home, remember what she said? She's like, this changes everything. I can see goodly now, right? You remember that? The lens of her glasses transformed everything. And we talked about how the gospel, when we understand what Christ has done, it's like a lens. When we can see God's love, his forgiveness, his holiness, his grace, what he's done for us, it changes everything. But what's interesting about Kiana is when she saw clearly, what did she do? She had to tell everyone. Listen, in the gospel is the same way. When you can see it clearly, it changes everything, but makes you want to tell everyone. So Kiana told me and she told uh, her sister, Shisera. She wanted to call her previous foster family. She wanted to call my mom and dad, uh, Emily's mom and dad. She told some of you in the church. She walked up and she's kind of batted her eyes, wanting you to talk about her glasses. She was so excited because it changed her life. She can see clearly things that were blurs <laughs> were now clear. And my friends, the same thing is true. When you and I can see the gospel, what Jesus did for you in particular by dying to remove your sin, it changes everything and it leads us to want to tell everyone. In the scriptures, there's tons of Bible passages that actually talk about us sharing the gospel or being a missionary. I know that term might sound uh, pretty weird to us. Like, I'm not a missionary. I'm a student or I'm an engineer or I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm not a missionary. What does that even mean? Missionary simply means you take the message of someone else and bring it to another. And you and I are taking the message of what Jesus has done and you're bringing it in love to another. Let me share a few of these passages that talks about us being mission-minded. The first one is John 20, 21. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And I think I'll have these on the screen for you guys. Uh, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, 
so I am sending you. 2 Corinthians 5.20 also says this. It says that we are ambassadors for God. God making his appeal through us. And so therefore we implore our friends and neighbors on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 1 Peter 2.9 also says this as well. It says, my friends, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's possession. So that why? So that you may proclaim God's excellencies, meaning you proclaim what he's done. You proclaim it to everyone who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then the last one, what Kyle read for us is our passage for today. Jesus himself, his last words become our first priority, my friends. His last words become our first priority. And here's what he said. Jesus said, friends, go therefore, because of what Jesus has done, go therefore and we make disciples of all nations. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And behold, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. My friends, I only gave you four scriptures, right? That talked about us making the gospel known, but it's all throughout the Bible. In fact, God himself is a missionary God. For the very beginning of scripture, he always talked about sending prophets or kings or priests to go to people in his name. And then eventually what did God do? He put on human flesh and he came to us. And so because of that, God also in love wants us to go to others to share what Jesus has done. But here's why I always wondered. When you looked at Matthew chapter 28 and Jesus tells these disciples that have gathered on a mountain together and he says, go make disciples, did the disciples actually do it? Did they actually go? What, what happened to that original 12? Did they go make disciples of all nations? What happened to them? And we can learn some things from church history as we sort of follow some of the recordings of what happened to some of these disciples. And here's what ended up happening to some of these men. Let me tell you, if you remember James, the son of Zebedee, he actually uh, went to many cities and many nations and he actually gave his life. He was actually beheaded alongside of another convert that he had led to Christ. He gave his life over even to death to share the gospel. Philip, he did the same thing. He was sharing the gospel in areas that was hostile and he ended up being whipped and imprisoned. And we don't have a clear history, but he was either stoned or crucified. Philip gave his life to this. Jude, he was attacked with sticks, clubs, and beaten to death as he was sharing the gospel. Simon the Zealot, he again was painfully tortured and crucified for the gospel. James the Less, he was pushed off a roof. He lived, and then they beat him to death. Peter was crucified, as church history tells us, upside down on a cross because he felt that he was not to be worthy of dying the same way Jesus, so he asked to be turned upside down if he indeed had to be crucified. Peter had a brother named Andrew. Andrew was also crucified on a cross. Remember that guy doubting Thomas that kind of gets the hard name from the disciples because he doubted whether Jesus really rose? He trusted in this Jesus. He actually went to India to share the gospel and he was killed when a spear was thrown into his side. John, uh, we learned when we were studying Revelation together that he was thrown into a boiling oil. They tried to poison him. That didn't work either. And then he died alone, exiled on a deserted island. Matthew, when he was teaching in a setting just like this, was teaching in the church. They drug him outside mid-teaching. They nailed him to the ground with spears and they beheaded him. Then last Bartholomew, he was arrested. He was beaten. He was suspended upside down. It was really grotesque. They skinned him alive and then they beheaded him. 
This is super crazy, right? To think about what, why did these men give their life? And this is just the 12 disciples that we're learning, not even the women or children or senior adults that follow Jesus. But why did these men give their life to this, even to death? It's because these men realized that the gospel was not just an accessory to life. The gospel's a necessity to life. It's not just something you add on to your life if you get the chance to share the gospel. If you just maybe have some extra time to share with your friends and neighbors. These men were so transformed that they're like, I don't care if I die giving my life to the gospel because I want my friends and neighbors in the world to know Jesus. Guys, do you and I have that type of mindset? Now, the worst thing that happens to us is probably we get ridiculed at work or there's a weird conversation with a coworker or a friend or a neighbor. We start talking about Jesus. Maybe they reject us. Maybe they laugh at us. They tell us, no, science proves this and that. And you don't have any reliable evidence about a resurrection or the scriptures, which is technically not true. We have a ton of evidence about the scriptures being reliable or Jesus coming back from the dead or that he even existed. We've got lots of proof. But the worst for us is just simple mocking and rejection. But I wanna ask you, do you have this sort of heart that you're willing to give all of your life, meaning your resources and your time, your heart, are you willing to give that over to the gospel? Have you realized that it's such a necessity to your life and your friends and neighbors that you're willing to give it all for the gospel? Guys, it's something that our church has to think about often. Uh, As we think about 3% of 5.2 million people not knowing Jesus, and then maybe being in Boston for two years or three years as they're studying their program, or maybe they moved here for a job just for a year or two. And our church is right outside, right along the T, right next to Boston College with a quarter million college students right outside your door. And they wake up day in and day out not knowing what love and, and grace, forgiveness, where comfort and security, where purpose and meaning really come from. And my friends, all of it sits in your heart if you're a Christian right now, it sits in you. You know the hope of Christ for this life and the life to come. So my friends, do you see the gospel as an accessory to life? Just kind of an add-on. If you wanna share it, you kind of can't, or is it a necessity? Because like when Kiana put on those glasses, it changes everything for you and you want it to change everyone else. It's challenging to think. It's hard for us to consider what that really looks like. Well, guys, as we look at this text, I want to see that you're invited to the same thing Jesus invited these disciples into. You're invited to the go therefore and make disciples. I want to just show you verse 16 again. Verse 16 of the passage says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. You might be thinking, well, what happened to the 12th disciple? At this time, Judas had abandoned Christ. He had actually ended his own life out of uh, guilt and shame. And so he is no longer living. He left this group of disciples. He abandoned Christ. And so there's 11 left. They went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had told them, I'm gonna meet you here. They meet there together. And there was also a crowd, sort of history tells us there was also a crowd in addition to the 11 that met them there. And it says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But listen, but some doubted, but some doubted. Now, listen, when I read that, I I love that. I love that some doubt it because it tells that Jesus is welcoming skeptics and seekers and even non-Christians. He's welcoming, he's inviting anyone and everyone to come and meet him at the mountain of the cross to see what he's done. He's inviting skeptics. 
He's inviting seekers to draw close and see who he is. And my friends, that might maybe be you this morning. Well, you're not so sure about this Christianity thing. Maybe you're not sure if Jesus really was real or that he really died on the cross or that he really rose from the grave or what about the Bible? How do we know if that's God's word? And this morning, there's not condemnation. There's an invitation for you to draw close with your doubts, with your questions, with everything. You're invited to come to the mountain and see what God's done and find real answers, not just, oh, put your faith in this Bible, but there's real genuine answers for how we can base our life on this ancient book and what this God of old has done for us. I love that we're invited. So whether you're a seeker, skeptic, or you're a seasoned Christian, this church is for you. Our church is for you to bring your heartaches. And guys, that's part of my story. Before I became a Christian, I wasn't a Christian until I was 20 years old. And I had so many questions about, how, if I'm supposed to give my life to this God, how do I even know the Bible's reliable? Wasn't it written by lots of different authors over a long span of time? And how do I know, do I trust these words? And we can unpack that. We can walk through that together. And if we look at the genealogies and we look at the geography, we look at the dates, we look at the history, all those things begin to line up. There's not inconsistencies about those things in the scriptures. The dating, the people, it was written by over 40 different human authors over a stretch of 1,500 years. And all the facts lined up to me as I was studying that as a non-Christian. And then the last step was if the dates match up, the archaeology, the, the genealogies, the geography, all that lines up, then last of the faith claims. And none of those faith claims seem to contradict each other. And the more and more I looked at what is a reliable evidence of a resurrection? How do I know this man? Did he really even live? We have tons of proof, even from outside Christian scholars that tells us this man really even lived. And then we have evidence, genuine evidence about a resurrection. Because there's so much for us to bring our doubts bring our friends who have doubts. This is a church for them and a church for you. So just as Jesus invited them, they could come and worship and some can doubt. Yes, this church is for that. God is drawing them and God wants to draw them through you. Three things we're gonna very briefly unpack today just because this is our second week in this space. And just like when you move in, you don't have big parties when you just kind of move in your house, you get things settled. So we typically do a little bit longer of a service, longer preaching time, longer songs. But today it's a little bit quicker today just because we're still moving in and getting settled. So three quick points we're gonna walk through from this text. Number one, how do we do mission? We go in his power, we go in his plan, we go in his promise. Yes, those are three Ps and that's super cute for us to get started, right? We go in his power, we go in his plan, we go in his promise. The very beginning of this verse, Jesus again invites these disciples on the mountain, right? And then he gives them this commission, go and make disciples. But he backs it up and he says, let me share you the power of what I'm telling you when I tell you to go and share. He says this, he says, Jesus came and he said to them on the mountain, he says, all authority, all of it that's in heaven and all of it that's on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Because of that, Go, therefore, and make disciples. As I was thinking about Jesus' authority, what type of authority does he have? He actually he has authority of speech. If you remember, when Jesus spoke, the world was created. When he spoke, the dead rose. When he spoke, demons were cast out. When he spoke, sick were cured. When he spoke, storms were stopped. When he spoke, multitudes were fed. When he spoke, the weak were strengthened. When he spoke, even dead hearts leapt to life in Christ. 
when God speaks, he articulates with authority. More than that, not only his speech have power and authority, but he moves with miracles, his touch. If you remember his touch in the scriptures, it calls to be healed. His hand calls a dead person to rise. Simply his cloak, his robe calls the bleeding woman to stop bleeding. His presence calls demons to shudder. Even his spit, if you remember that story, when it was rubbed in mud and on someone's eye, which is a unique way to heal, but Jesus does what he does, it calls the blind to But most of all, even his blood on the cross made a way for the lost to be found. He speaks with authority. He moves and touches with authority. Even he rules with authority as king. He has control over life. He has power over death, dominion over earth. He's reigning over heaven. He's master over creation. And he's indeed sovereign over our salvation. Abraham Cooper says this, quote, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Every molecule, every person, every space, every atom is in and around God's sovereign control and authority. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And friends, what that means when he tells you and I to go, he's telling you to go into his space to do his purpose. And so you're not walking into your office and your office, yes, has a culture that may not adopt Christian principles or may not like the gospel, but God tells you to go into that space with his authority because God is sovereign over that space. And he wants you to go and share his message in that space. Does that make sense? So for you and I, sometimes when we're talking about sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbors, we're like, man, that's weird. Like, I don't wanna go to work because it's like, it's a work environment. Or man, I don't wanna share the gospel in a coffee shop because it's like a coffee shop. Or man, I don't wanna like have these, because it's like, it's not my space or it's not. And God's saying, listen, it's, none of it's your space. None of it's your place. And I want you to go into that area and I want you to make me known all authority is his, and he's telling you to go with that authority into that place to share the gospel there. So my friends, we go in his power, we go in his authority. He has given you a charge as the commander to go and share this love and grace. And my friends, we are to do so. Number two, we are to go in his plan, not just his power, because he said it, but we go in his plan. Verse 19 says this, Jesus says, we go therefore and we make disciples of all nations. Meaning guys, we don't just pick the people that look like us, that may act like you, may have the same degree. Guys, we want this church, this space, guys, we want it filled with people with different socioeconomic statuses, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. We want folks that had previously been in different religions that have come to trust in Jesus. We want this group not to just look the same. This group that's in this room that will be in this room one day, we want this group to look like what's in our community because we're reaching everybody. We're not just reaching Democrats or Republicans or independents, people that hate votes, that love voting. We want to reach everybody, vaccinated people, unvaccinated people, people with wealth, people with not. We want to reach everyone, all the nations, all the people. We want to share the love of Jesus. And then we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, verse 20. And then we, we teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded in all of the scriptures. And then Jesus says, behold, I am with you always when? To the end of the age. So what's his plan? Three quick things here that I've got on the screen for you. Plan number one, guys, you are called by God to reach your friends and neighbors. That scripture tells us, go therefore. If you look at that sort of in original language, it was uh, written in, in Greek for us. And if we look at that, we're actually seeing that it's, it's as you're going. It's wherever you go, as you go, you make disciples. Wherever you are, that's the place. Do you go to school? 
that's the place God wants you to make the gospel known. You got a roommate, that's the person God wants you to connect with. You take the tea, that's the transportation he wants you to make the gospel known. Does that make sense? Wherever you are is a platform for you to make the gospel known. Guys, there's five quick rhythms of your life that you have every day. You have work or school, you eat, you rest or play, you live by meaning you go get your hair cut, you go shopping, you go do whatever, and you celebrate. There's a five rhythms you have. Eat, work, rest, live, celebrate. And of that rhythm, I'm not asking you to add more things on your schedule. I'm saying do those rhythms, but do it intentionally. How can you invite your roommate, a friend or neighbor into those rhythms with you? If you're gonna go and you're gonna go to a Red Sox game or you're gonna go out to dinner or maybe you've got a shopping trip you gotta do, if you're gonna go to the beach and hang out, can you bring a friend or neighbor with you and start having genuine conversations about maybe what they believe or how they grew up or what their hopes are for life or what their thoughts are about Jesus. Start having intentional, genuine conversations as you go, wherever you go. Guys, I'm not perfect at this at all. One small way my family has tried to seek this out is we live in an apartment complex. Uh, It's got maybe about 70, 80 people in there. We've got a huge back deck. And once a month, what we try to do is just have a small little party for our apartment complex. Maybe we order pizza, Chipotle, something like that. Once a month, people come out, we play cornhole, we hang out together. And from that, I built a relationship with a guy named Tom. Some of you have met Tom, know Tom. Uh, Bobby uh, actually helped Tom when he was uh, at his um, uh, hospital as he was recovering from a stroke. Bobby was caring for him. Shaq lived in the apartment complex. A lot of us know Tom, and Tom had lived there for decades. Through our relationship with Tom, through us hanging out for our church, um, Tom eventually uh, heard the gospel, spent some time with us, and then he placed his faith in Christ last year. And now he watches our service online and we're trying to get him connected to a church where he's local right now. So again, I'm not saying that we're perfect at it. I've got lots of more failure stories than success stories, but I'm just saying, how can you be intentional? You eat three meals a day, right? Roughly. How do you spend that time with someone also that has to eat? So how do you do it intentionally? How do you work, eat, rest, live, celebrate intentionally with someone else? Jeff Vanderstelt, one of my favorite sort of missionary thinkers says this, I define missional living as being continually sent disciple makers who live everyday life with gospel intentionality. So we might both show and tell others what Jesus has done in their life. It's not a program or an event. Life is the program and every day is the event. When we see disciple making as primarily done in classrooms or events, we end up making leaders that don't end up following Jesus. But if we do it in the every areas of life, in the normal rhythms of life, we can make disciples the way Jesus did. Derek uh, Rijme says this also, another missionary thinker says, occasionally the spirit grants us extraordinary moments with other people, a home run gospel conversation, but mostly the kingdom breaks in through ordinary means, base hits, small conversations, invites to church, sacrifice flies, he says, this too is the foolishness of the cross, but the effectiveness for people's heart. So what are we to do? Number one, guys, we must reach our friends and neighbors with the gospel. They must know what Jesus has done for them. Number two, we must share the gospel. I know this sounds pretty basic, but sometimes we hang out with our non-Christian friends, but we never get around to actually sharing the good news of Jesus. And we must do that. That's when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. We must share what God has done how he's holy, he's perfect, we're not. 
There's a separation because of sin. There's a great wall, but Christ has come and taken that sin and put it on himself, breaking down that wall of hostility when simply we place our faith alone in him. He does the great exchange. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. And it's simply by faith. Guys, as easy as that is to share in that one or two sentences, there's numerous angles and ways we can share that. My friends, are you sharing that with your friends and neighbors, your coworkers? Have you asked questions about what people believe? I know it's awkward and uncomfortable, but it's good for them. And when you see the gospel clearly, it changes everything and you want to tell everyone. Last thing, not only do we reach and share, but we want to help them to know, love, and follow Jesus in every area of life. Guys, that's what our church does. And the scriptures, Jesus is telling us here to help them observe all that I've commanded you. Does he not say that? What's it mean to teach others all that I've commanded you? That means we should teach the scriptures in our church and we should help people understand the Bible and walk through doubts and questions. So we should help others observe or to know or to live out all that God's taught. That's why we have community groups and DNA groups and we teach seminars and we have weekend events and that's why we have teaching on Sunday morning. We want everyone to know the life of Jesus in every area of life. So guys, we do wanna reach our friends and neighbors. We wanna share the gospel but we want to teach and help show them how the good news affects every area of their life for good. And then last, my friends, we go in his promise. We go in his power, we go in his plan, we go in his promise. I love the end of this passage that Jesus gives them. They're on the mountain. Jesus' last words become their first priority. And he says this, he says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, what a great promise for a really scary task. If you think about these men who heard that command that day, all of them went and obeyed it. And 11, or excuse me, 10 out of the 12 were martyred for their faith. John was the only one left deserted, abandoned on an island to die in seclusion. And then Judas had ended his own life. These men gave everything they had. So what's the hope they hold on to in trial? It was this promise. Behold, I am with you. I am with you always to the end of the age. Guys, there are gonna be moments where you are incredibly intimidated to share the good news with someone. And you're worried about the rejection of you or what they're gonna think of you. Or man, if I share the gospel, you know, how's my work gonna see me? Or what happens if I can't get that promotion? Cause I had that conversation with that person who told my manager and now it's kind of weird and I'm kind of the mocked one. And it's good news to know that Jesus is saying, I am with you. And where Jesus is, goodness is found. So if you're looking for comfort, security, purpose, hope, who's gonna care for my future? It's not necessarily your employer. Your employer won't die for you. Your money won't die for you. Your job won't die for you. They're not gonna be there when things hit the fan. They won't care for you in that way. But when Jesus says, I am with you always, that promise is what gives you comfort and boldness to make Jesus known. So guys, his presence is indeed our power. For if he's with us, guys, who can be against us? When you go and share the gospel, God will bring people who need to hear the message in your path. With his presence, will you be powerful and bold to share the gospel? Guys, his presence is our comfort. If he's with us, what else do we need? We may not need the presence or the approval of our friends and neighbors. We wanna love them. We wanna love them where they're at even if they don't understand where they're at. And last, his presence is our security. He is always with us, so who else should we fear? 
Jesus' last words, my friends, must be our first priority. Guys, we conclude, I just wanna give you a quick action steps. I wanna pop this on the screen for you guys. A couple action steps I want you to consider. Uh, the first thing is this thing called who's your one? Who's your one? And so I want you to think about who is one person in your life that you feel like God has put in your path that he wants you to use that platform of relationship to share Jesus with. Who's that one person? Last year for me, that was Tom and my grandfather. My grandfather was 96 years old, the last week of his life. Last week of his life, we're on a FaceTime call. My mom's in the room. He professes faith in Christ. He's crying, he's weeping. He knows he's gonna meet Jesus soon. He gives his life to Christ. The last week of his life, that was our last conversation. And I get to see him again in glory. He was my one person I started praying for when I was 20 years old. And then finally, 14 years later, he gives his life to Christ. And we had had so many conversations, so many emails exchanged, so many letters written, so many phone calls. And finally, God, 96 years later in this man's life, brought him to faith. And then Tom. So I had like a who's your one slash two. Who's that one person in your life that God has positioned, roommate, coworker, friend, who is it? And would you write that down? Who's your one? And God, one of the best rhythms we have as a church, we're moving this new part of our neighborhood. And the next four Sundays are the easiest Sundays to invite people to because we're giving free food out at the very end of service. They're having a free meal, a picnic right out front. It's easy to invite them. It's easy to say, hey, listen, our church is gonna be three years old next week. It's our anniversary. And people often join in with what you're excited about. So I know you might not believe this uh, and you might not have the same values, but like, would you wanna come and celebrate with me? It's, it's our church's three-year anniversary. We're gonna have a picnic outside. There's a playground if they have kids. It's a, the easiest four Sundays for you to invite your friend to so they can hear the gospel and be in a gospel community that knows Jesus. So who is your one? The next, guys, is your missional community groups. Guys, we've got several community groups as a part of our church, and each community group has a missional focus. Let me show you this map real quick. Got a map of our neighborhood. And this is the Brighton-Alston area. You guys see there's a sort of a red line down the middle of that graphic. On the left side is Brighton. On the right side is Alston. Within three square miles, there's 70,000 college students. You can see the lower left side over there is Boston College with 15,000. The far right is Boston University with 33,000 college students. Right where AP is in a blue star, that's where I live. And we're slightly to the left of that star right now. In our neighborhood, there's local schools. That's where you see the S's are local schools. The L's are libraries. Uh, we've got housing authorities that are in pink there. There are so many houses and neighborhoods. There's a YMCA. There's local shops that are Boston owned. There's a new development that we have called Boston Landing. Guys, people are flocking to even this neighborhood as we speak this week. You probably walked or drove to church. Did you see a U-Haul on your way here? Probably saw a budget truck or something. People are moving here, right? All these people in our neighborhood, 50,000 of them, four square miles, 25% beneath the poverty line, and they're in your neighborhood. Guys, each community group is assigned, whom are you called to reach? Is it a local school? Is it a YMCA? Is it a housing authority? Who are you called to reach? Uh, my community group, under the leadership of Matt and Jordan Daniels, we've selected uh, Brighton Main Streets. It uh, works with the local shops there, and they're put on by the city, and they've asked us to host movie nights for our community. Uh, Brighton Main Street's goal is to say, hey, we want uh, our neighborhood to be uh, family friendly, and we want people to shop in our local shops so that the economy goes up and people want to stay in the Brighton neighborhood. It helps the neighborhood 
economically. And they say, hey, can you guys help us with that by hosting movie nights and giving away some raffle? And we're like, absolutely. So we've been putting movie nights on for three years and we do a raffle. And then every time we host a movie night, either myself or my wife gets on the microphone and we just share the gospel awkwardly to 300 people and say, hey, hope you learn more about our church. Come and stop by our, 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 our table. And several people have come to our church that way. If you remember Josh and Shanice, two kids, Cameron and Isaiah, all of them came to faith in Christ because of movie nights, getting connected to that. If you remember Allison and Tony Dobbins, that's how they got connected before they moved away. We met Liz and we met Chris, and we met DJ, all that are local community group leaders from those things. So I'm not saying our group is like, woo, we're all special, which I do love my group and I do think we're all special because I love my group. But every group has to pick a pocket of people. Under Matt and Jordan's leadership, they're like, we want to do Brighton Main Streets. How do, they, how do they need to be served in our community? We do trash pickup. We do beautification projects. We've planted uh, trees and shrubbery and all that kind of stuff for them. Uh, we want to continue to serve them. And because of that, they're seeing and they're hearing the gospel through that your community group has one as well. And this year, we really wanna unpack how do we do this in our neighborhood? So your group leaders have already selected a pocket of people and they wanna unpack with you and you guys work together to figure out how do we reach our neighborhood? So think about your pocket of people this semester, how can you spend time with them, share the gospel with them, bless them, pray for them, serve them? What would that look like for you this year? And then here's the last thing, we need some steps. What are our steps? Got one more graphic for you here. Um, our steps together, we must do this. We must pray, plan, pursue. Guys, we got to pray for our friends and neighbors that don't know Jesus. Guys, I prayed for my grandfather for 14 years, finally came to faith in Christ. My mom, dad, my neighbors prayed for me for 20 years. All my rebellious uh, middle school, high school, college years, my Christian friends praying for me inviting me to church, inviting me to community groups and me not wanting to go because thought, P.S. by the way, I thought church planting, being a pastor and Christianity was stupid and I'm doing all three now, like with my life. It shows you what the gospel can do to you. I remember saying that to my friend Josh Thomas at because he wanted me to join this church plant thing. I was like, man, churches are stupid, pastors are stupid. I hate Christianity. And then, you know, here we are today. But anyway, I want us to pray for that one person and for our community group to whom we're sent to be on mission. I want us to plan with our community group, man, how are we going to share the gospel with our friends and neighbors? And guys, one of the best way is yes, let's invite them into our house. Yes, have coffee hangouts. Yes, let's do one-on-ones. But guys, one of the most effective way is you invite them to your community group, invite them to your house and invite them to church. That's one of the easiest ways in North America to share the gospel with your friend and neighbor. Invite them to your house, hang out, invite them to your community group, invite them to church. Not, my goal is not to get you to like slam the Bible down people's throats. That's not my, my goal. My goal is to give them the hope of Jesus that you have in you. So we pray, make a plan, and then we pursue that plan. We must go to all nations, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit so they can have life in Christ so that Jesus can look at them and say, I'm gonna be with you always. In your comfort, in your sorrow, in your heartache, I'm gonna be with you always. I'm gonna give you purpose and a hope I'm gonna give you a future on this earth and in heaven. I'm gonna watch out for it. I'm gonna care for you. We want our friends and neighbors to know that. We want them to know Jesus because the gospel changes everything. Let's pray together. 